I have put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Don't suppose for a minute that I've come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I am not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together. Put it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivialize the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others and you will find honor in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matter of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. So this morning we are, oh I'm very loud, and we're continuing our sermon on, on um, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week Steve was talking through the Beatitudes, wasn't he? It was great, wasn't it, learning all about those. But this morning we're, we're focusing on salt and light, what it means to be God people. I really love the verse, um, I think it's verse 13 in the message where it says, we are the, we, we're the people that bring out the God colours in the world or the God flavors. If you're if you're making notes this morning, I would say put put that bit down. That I think that epitomizes it sums up that verse really, really nicely. You're here to bring light, the God colours in the world. So today we're talking about salt and light. And um, if you're familiar with your Bible, if you've read through John's gospel before, the idea of light being light is going to be quite familiar with you. John uses the, the, the metaphor of light throughout his gospel to refer to God or God's presence in people's lives. So that one, if we've been in church for a little while, we're, we're pretty familiar with, aren't we? But being salt is a bit of an odd one. If you're really young and cool and you were described as salty, it is not a good thing. It means you're a little bit bitter and a little bit nasty, doesn't it? Sue? Yeah? I don't know. You, you've, got, you've got young people. I'm, I'm old and boring now. But that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about in this. It's, it's that verse, it's that word in the message, bringing out the God flavors, the salt that enhances things. And these, these metaphors of light and salt are basically talking about how we as Christians, as we as people that love God and want to know him, want to know more of him and see more of him in our world, it's about how we live that out, how we see that come to be, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to talk, where our priorities are. It's that idea of putting the light on the hill. We are the things that shine out to other people and say, this is our God. This is what it's all about. But salt's a bit different, isn't it? It's a bit bit of a weird one to get your head around. I did a bit of reading about salt and what salt meant in, in those times. But I'm a bit of a lazy cook. Is anyone else here a lazy cook? 
No. So Emma and I are so lazy when it comes to cooking that we have to get um, one of those meal boxes delivered. This is like a little bit of a confessional, isn't it? And because in my head, well, let's have an example, okay? So I really like spaghetti, but is it easy? You know, it's easy. Liz is really judging me now. But if it was up to me, we would eat pizzas most nights, okay? I don't think there's anything wrong with eating pizza. Pizza is fantastic. It's literally a whole meal because it's round. But pizza's every night. Emma doesn't think that's okay. So we get meal kits delivered and spaghetti. Spaghetti is one of them. And in my head, spaghetti is really easily, isn't it? You've got your, your protein thing corn, of course. You've got your your jar of sauce and you put the pasta on the boil. That is spaghetti, right? Wrong. That is not spaghetti. Meal kit says no jar of sauce. Spaghetti turns into a massive science experiment full of about 30 different flavorings and seasonings. It does taste fantastic. It doesn't come with garlic bread though, so I don't know what what that's about. But loads and loads of flavors and seasonings and you put salt in everything you put salt in the pasta water you put salt in with the sauce and then it's not just limited to to spaghetti it's in every meal that they give you you can think of it salt salt in everything salt in everything and pardon well i'm getting on to that salt is really bad for you but it does it brings out the flavors if you were like a really fancy chef or someone like that you would say it brings out the subtleties and and sort of makes them sing you can taste everything a little bit better that's what jesus is getting onto in this passage he's talking about how if we add that into our lives which is the meal it brings out our uniquenesses it brings out who we really are who we're supposed to be in him In Jesus' time, salt was really expensive. It was often used almost as currency at points. And because of it, the the great value attributed to salt, people would cut it with other things. So salt would be not salt. Um, I don't know if that's chemically possible, but you would bulk it out with other bits and pieces to try and make it go further. So some salt was impure. It's not like our fancy bamboo salt that you can get now. I did a bit of research into salt. Bamboo, has anyone used bamboo salt? A jar of bamboo salt, so like, I don't know, about 100 grams. I don't know how, much, how big 100 grams of salt is. It doesn't sound like a lot. 100 grams bamboo salt, almost 200 pounds, okay? You don't need that. You don't get that in your meal kit either, which is pretty disappointing. But you could use that as currency, right? But in Jesus' time, salt was this really valuable asset, and pure salt was really important, It's talking about how, as Christians, our main purpose is to follow Jesus. The the valuable salt in our lives. It's talking about the value of God in our lives. When you were younger, did you ever have a dream job? No? Anyone? So when I was younger... I've got this thing from when I was in year four and we sort of graduated out of year four. We did a little thing about ourselves, so you know, like your height, your favorite color, what your pet's name is, what you wanted to be when you were older. And on that, for some bizarre reason, I said, I want to be an archaeologist. Now, my parents aren't archaeologists. They're not into time team. They don't dig big holes and I've never been to like a dig site. I think my sister was on a speed awareness course with 
the guy that presents Time Team once, but that's, that's as close to archaeology as I've ever been. No connection to archaeology whatsoever. I think I asked a lot of questions as a little kid. My parents got me an encyclopedia for my sixth Christmas present. Terrible Christmas present. But it sort of fostered this, this love for old and interesting things. So I said, archaeologist. Has anyone here ever, would, ha, does anyone here do the job that they dreamt of when they were younger? Ian did. Anthony did. You, really? Wow. That's interesting. Most, Chris did, most people you talk to often don't end up doing the jobs that they dreamt to do, unless they're like a train driver or a nurse or an accountant. Um, every <laughs> mathematician. <laughs> mathematician, don't have to laugh. Because the reality is when, when we get a little bit older, we, we learn about the exams. We learn about about the difficulties of that job. Sometimes we, we even take into consideration sort of the work-life balance or the finances that that job might bring in. And those dreams sort of dwindle. And I'm not asking you to go and get your P45 tomorrow morning or to, to sort of rekindle your childhood sort of dreams. But it's similar to when we become a Christian for the first time, isn't it? That thing about God that grabbed us, that we got really excited about, that passion for what life is like with Jesus is a little bit like when we were a kid and we thought, wouldn't that job be amazing? All the things I could do, all the things I could play with when I'm, that, when I'm at that job. No? Little trowels, paintbrushes. We get these, these really exciting ideas of what life with God is like in that first glimpse. And sometimes it it dwindles away. That's what we're talking about in this verse. When we say salt that's lost its saltiness, it's not, it is no longer salt, because I'm not sure if that's chemically possible. It's that, it's that spark behind it, that idea, that drive, that passion that grabbed us when we first said yes can sometimes just, just disappear a bit. If you dig into the history of NBC, there's a, there's a vision that's been given quite a lot. So uh, an image that someone's received when they've been praying to the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit's broken into their lives and given them a picture of what this place here is supposed to be in terms of its worship, its expression, who people would see it to be. And it's been given quite a lot over time and it's come again since we've been looking at our vision as a church. We've been thinking about our values, our priorities, who we are, who we're called to be. This verse has really spoken into it. There's also a, an image of a beacon on a hill that's come up time and time again. If you've been around NBC for a few years, you might have, might have heard this vision in away days and bits and pieces. And it came again when, as a leadership team, we were praying about who we're supposed to be as a church. And beacons are quite interesting, aren't they? So before you had telephones and the internet and WhatsApp, you would have these piles of wood on a hill that people would light as a signal to other towns. If you ever watch Lord of the Rings, Battle of Gondor, Big Beacon Tower, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about sort of mythical battles with strange creatures. We're talking about how it signals where God is. If you think about that Beacon Tower, it's telling people God is here. We're a community of people that are worshipping God. It's a sign saying this is where God is at work. This is the work that God is doing. Come and worship him in this place. 
But a beacon, beacon with wet wood is pretty useless, isn't it? Doesn't light, doesn't light very well, doesn't burn very bright. And salt that isn't salty is pretty useless too. In fact, it's annoying, isn't it? If you go and use a torch and the batteries are dead or the bulbs blown, you don't think, oh, that's a rubbish torch. It's not a torch. And the, the metaphor that Jesus is using within this parable, salt that loses its saltiness, light that isn't really bright, isn't talking about things that were and that, that aren't anymore. It's talking about the struggle of following a Christ, of following Jesus, living life as a Christian. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but being a Christian isn't always easy. <laughs> It's not the easiest choice. And I'm not talking about the, the desires of hedonism or, or anything like that. It's the little things that add up. When we think about the life that Jesus asks us to live, when we think about his priorities over our priorities, when we think about not gossiping, when we think about how, how we spend our, our time, our effort, our money, when we think about the Beatitudes that Steve went through last week, when we stop being poor in spirit, when we, we stop living in repentance and meekness, if we don't develop an attitude for, for righteousness or being merciful, then we're no longer salt or light. And that's the difficult part. That's the struggle within this passage. There's the idea of being a bright light, as being as salty as possible, isn't, isn't anything new. Christians have been doing it from the day dot. If you look at Jesus, he was a perfect example, quite rightfully, of what living a life close to God could look like. But then when we go through our Bible, we see it echoed, don't we? We see the apostles doing it. We see the disciples doing it. We see the early Christians doing it, surrendering different parts of their life. So it could be the church in Acts that sold their possession and land to go and help other people. It could be the Christians during the outbreak of the plague that gave up their their lives to go and serve the sick. It could be a whole host of other things. We've seen examples of Christians giving up pretty much anything and everything in order to express their love for God, to show other people who he is. It's, it's our outworking of our faith that can allow other people to see who God is, both through who he is in us, but also as we bring bits of God's kingdom into our places, people get the opportunity to experience God at work. We call it encounter, don't we? That's what we strive for. That's why most of us come to church on a Sunday morning. That's what this passage is about. And that's sort of been the driving force behind our our desire for a new vision. And within that, there's a thing called our priorities, the little acronym that makes up the M, the B, and the C. Can anyone remember what the old one was? Or the current one is, because we haven't voted it in yet. M is move, B is bless, C is celebrate, right? And they're great. And we're not saying that they're rubbish and they don't exist anymore and that we don't need them. They still stand. They're good. But we've been thinking about how we express this a little bit more. This this verse um, in the Sermon of the Mount has really spoken into it. And we think the new ones should be, and we believe God is saying this is what they could be, is more like Jesus, being family, 
and centered in community. And they're good, aren't they? You've got to be careful with the last one. We called it care for the community, and that's not, that's an NHS term, and it's stuck in my head, but it's centered in community. And through those, it's basically saying we want to be brighter and we want to be saltier than we've ever been. We want to be authentic and vulnerable. We want to be amongst other people. We want to, we want our sole purpose to be helping other people see more of God in their places. See him at work. And that's exciting, right? I think it is. It's also really challenging. If you think about, think about your house, your home, where you live. Most of you got electricity. We've got electricity, right? And in your house, you've probably got a few lights, one big light in each room. Some of you might have spotlights. Ooh, in your ceiling. Uh, and, and some of you have gone to the, the point where you think, I've got enough lights on my ceiling. I will now decorate every flat surface with another light. Have you, has anyone done that? My wife is slowly trying to do that in my house. It's really nice for atmosphere, but it's incredibly impractical. If you just want to go to bed and you think, I'll switch the lights off. And they used to put this thing on the wall that you could just press and it would switch the lights off. That was helpful. But now you've got to go around and then you always forget the one at the corner at the end. Anyway, Imagine you don't have electricity in your house. You don't have any lamps. Someone's taken them all away. You've got a power cut. But I come round with a big torch. And it's, it's electric. It's battery powered. So you don't have to worry about it getting hot. Where are you going to put that light in your house? You're probably going to try and put it as high as possible, right? You're probably going to... It's try and stick it to the ceiling, a bit like when you're camping and you think, oh, I'll put this light on my ceiling. You tie it to the roof of your tent, you walk away, pulls the whole tent down. It was a great idea. Or what you might try and do is you might just sort of hold it up really high and carry it around with you, taking it into each room, making that environment better. That's what we're asked to do with our faith. If you think about your faith as that torch. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says a city on a hill, don't hide it under a bucket, like it says in the message. It's talking about how we're there to show it off. And it's not showing it off like, oh, look at my fancy light that I've got, because it was a gift. I gave it to you. Your faith is a gift. Your light is a gift. Jesus gave it to you. That opportunity to say, this is God at work. So it's not yours to show off in terms of, look what I've got. But it's yours to show off. Like, look what God is doing. You want to make the environment around you better for other people by bringing a light into that situation, by allowing God to be at work for your life. Carry your little battery-powered torch with you wherever you go. Because spiritually speaking, there is no light apart from Jesus, is there? And his light shines through all of us. And when I was, when I was thinking about this, I had this image of, you know, in like disaster movies, when the world goes out, you see, it's like a nightscape of the globe, and you see all the little lights in the world, and they slowly twinkle. Well, they're not slowly dwindling out, but if you imagine Jesus as the light in our lives, if you think of this, this spread of the, of the globe, every continent, lots of little lights shining out for Jesus, slowly illuminating the world. Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? Because when we think about our faith, when we think about our life with Jesus, it's, it's quite personal because it is a personal relationship with God. But we're part of something much bigger. 
We're part of a massive group of people that are trying to see God at work in this world, his kingdom here in this place. And I don't know, for me, I got quite excited when I thought of this sort of spread of the globe. There's probably a better name. What's a flat globe? I don't know. know. A map. A map. Thank you. This map with all these little lights getting brighter and brighter and more lights adding onto it as other people discover what that light is about. That's exciting, right? And when you think about your life and, and this metaphor of light, it's there to be experienced by other people. It's, it's not for us. It's not just to illuminate our life and our surrounding. It's an invitation for other people to experience God, to encounter him when you're there, when you're not there. So we've been talking about light and salt. We've been talking about being as bright as possible. We've talked about being as salty as possible, but not in a cool way because that's not good. It's all about living the lives that God had planned for us, right? It's about finding out what his purpose is for us, digging into that, bringing out the uniquenesses, the flavors, illuminating the world around us, seeing God's kingdom at work in our lives through our actions and through him speaking to us. It's about relying on the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that and our relationship with God to sustain us through that. But there's a, there's a verse that we're, we're sort of focusing on today that wasn't in the reading of Matthew. It's in Ephesians. It's our key verse. If you've got the big mega rota, um, it's on there. And I'd just like to read it quickly to you. So this is Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I'll read it in the NIV and then in the message. And it says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And in the message it says this, Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and his work. And we do, all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We didn't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work that he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better been doing. So salt and light are our identity. They're the markers of God at work in our life. Then where does it come from? Does it, do we get it when we finish the end of this sermon series? Do we get it when we've I don't know, when we've developed a really good prayer life, when we found the style of worship that works for us, when, when do we start shining? When do we become really salty? I don't think it's, it's not from any of those things. It's not, this verse says it's not from what we do for ourselves. It comes from surrender. It's what Steve was talking about last week in the Beatitudes. It's about recognizing God's plan for us above our desires for ourselves. It's recognizing that 
God is enough because we on ourselves, on our own, aren't enough. And that's not to say you are rubbish, you are unique, you're amazing, you're brilliant, you're made in God's image. But in the big scheme of things, we can't do this on our own. This life as a Christian, we've all just said, isn't easy. We can't sustain it by ourselves. We need communities that rally around us and say, you can do this. We need people that pray for us. We need the Holy Spirit sustaining us. We need God at work filling us. And recognizing that God is enough is, is a big part of that. The first, um, if you flick back to that first part in Ephesians, the first part in Ephesians 2, 2, 1 starts by saying we were dead. And then it goes on to say, God's mercy has made us alive in Christ. And that's, that's it. As a Baptist church, we recognize that's it, don't we? We, we baptize people. When people come to know who God is, when they get excited by that, that first glimpse of being salty and a bright shining light, people often get baptized and we, we take the covers off here and we put them in the water and we pull them up, don't we? We do that. And that's exciting and it's also really symbolic. It's symbolic of dying to self. You are pulled up out of grave, which is water. You are washed clean. You've made a commitment to say, this is going to be my life. I am going to be the saltiest, brightest person I can be. You're saying goodbye to your old self, and you're saying, with God's help, this is the life that I want to live. So we don't do this on our own, because the Holy Spirit is with us. We don't, we don't do it for ourselves. It's not for our glory. It's not for us to say, look how amazing I am. We do it so that God is seen and shown and experienced by other people so that his kingdom comes to the places where we are. It's all about being as bright and as salty as we can be, choosing to live for God even when it's really difficult and putting your light in the most visible places. Shall we pray? Lord, we we thank you that you invite us to be part of your work here. That you you ask us to be that, that city on a hill, to be the salt that flavors life. And we pray that you'll give us the opportunity to live that out. We pray that you'll give us the strength to do it when it's difficult. You will inspire our actions to show your love to the people that we meet, to the people we know, and to the strangers. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us always, sustaining us, keeping us going, inspiring us, showing us what to do and where to do it. To be with us, Lord. Amen.